This is the Sunday in which we will observe the ordinance of our Christ who gave to the church that is often called the Lord's Supper. And undoubtedly, for those of you who have been with us, you have noticed for 12 and a half years, every time we've done this, I have spoken on the meaning and on the observation of the supper itself. Today, with all pardon to Monty Python, I'm going to give a slight adaption of their words. Today, we're going to look at something completely different. Something completely different. And what can I possibly mean? Well, instead of looking specifically at the supper during this message, I want us to look at a particularly important passage of Scripture written in the context of Jesus' last Passover meal, which he transformed into an ordinance reminding his people of his sacrifice on their behalf. It is recorded only in the book of John and is a powerful image that plays a crucial role in the observance of the Lord's Supper. And it's not the way we normally would think, perhaps. Uh, but the reality is it spoke, let me put it, it foreshadowed a need that would show up in the church of Corinth when they misused the Lord's Supper, when they abused the Supper. In fact, Paul went so far as saying, what you're doing isn't the Lord's Supper at all. So we're going to take a look at our text. And it is a text focused on Jesus Christ watching the feet of his disciples. We're going to look at John 13, 1 through 17. Would you please stand in honor of the word? And listen carefully to what the word describes. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed to his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Obviously, in our text, the thrust of the text is that Jesus washed the disciples' feet in the context of introducing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Now, I believe that from this text, before we actually get into words of institution and the specifics of what each element means, in this text we can learn some of the most important truths that will prepare us for our fullest experience of communion. So what did Jesus washing the feet of disciples have to do with anything with us when it comes to taking communion? I ask you to join with me in some truths that are revealed in this one act that I guarantee, if we understand, will change our hearts and the way we take the supper. First of all, we see the truth of an amazing heart of compassion and grace. When we look at Jesus, what we're seeing here is an act of love and an act of grace that transcends just a simple act. It's not a ritual for him. It is a giving of his love. It is a giving of his life to these men that he had walked with for about three years. What was shown here then was Christ taking time to minister to his disciples. Now think about this. What we see is Christ taking time to minister to his disciples. And one of our children today mentioned that it was one of the acts of the lowliest of servants. And for those of you not familiar with, uh, we did have a rather broad definition of children today. Uh, But we do a live broadcast, and some of our kids are off visiting family now that we wanted to see. And Grace Baptist over in the Philippines will be watching for their kids as well. It was the act of a lowly servant. But what is going on? Folks, it's the night of his arrest. The scripture says he knows that he's going to be with the Father. He knows that the following day, in fact, during the night and further into day, two separate trials, he would be tried, falsely convicted, and crucified. An act of capital punishment that was designed to be the most painful it possibly could be. He knew all of these things. He knew what was about to face him. And we knew that he was dealing with this, the lowliest of house servants taking up this task. He set aside everything that was weighing heavily on his heart. Now, how can I say it weighed heavily on his heart? This is what he had come to do. He'd been telling his disciples, how do I know that Jesus was burdened? Because of the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Because when he is in his most deep, intimate moment with his father, when all the disciples who were supposed to be praying have fallen asleep, Jesus cries out to the Father, if there is any way, take this cup away from me. He was burdened. And he laid all of that aside to serve the ones he loved. An act of service that did have significance in his day. An act of service He was the host of the meal. It would be unheard of of a host to wash his guest's feet. But he's doing this because of his compassion, because of his love for his people. And we are confronted here then with the beautiful truth that lies behind this ordinance. I'm not talking, at this moment in time, I'm not talking about the truth of his crucifixion, and his resurrection. That will be dealt with. But the truth that causes him to institute this ordinance before his people. What lies behind? Very simply, folks. Jesus Christ came to serve. He washed their disciples' feet. And I kind of think it's a little bit telling that these men who gathered for this Passover feast, they have been celebrating this feast throughout their lives. They get there and not a single one of them were either willing or thought to do this simple act of service. But Jesus did. And we know that his ultimate act of service is what gives the supper its meaning. He has not only washed their feet in just mere hours, he will hang on a cross paying the price of their salvation. And he told his disciples before this, this is why he came into the world. In Matthew 20, 28, after, after the disciples have gotten into an argument, who's, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who, which of us are the best? Jesus turns it on them and says, not even the Son of Man came to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He said, I didn't come here. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to have a heart of a servant Just as I do, I came to pay the ultimate price, the ransom. Now, when we do deal with this washing of feet in our services, we we usually rush through it and don't take much attention. Folks, we can't ignore this important act of service. Because if we see this, it can begin to transform our hearts. Because even though we, we observe the Lord's Supper once a quarter because we're afraid of it becoming so commonplace it loses its meaning, I guarantee you doing it once a quarter it can lose its meaning unless we understand something here. When I look at what Jesus did that night in the washing of the feet, 
surely seeing this heart should draw us into a worshipful observance of communion. It should change us. Because even before he gets to the words, we see a heart of love being poured out, a heart of compassion, a heart that says, I have come to serve you. And that should speak to our hearts. And it should cause us to swell up with love that this one who gave everything for us was simply doing his heart. Coming to serve. And with that, when I understand the service of Christ throughout this event, all of a sudden, This service begins to speak to me at the depth of my being. In the midst of his pain, he served. And so I worship. This isn't a rite I quickly go through. This is a rite that tells me of my Lord's love, even as we take. Well, we have another truth. And it grows out of the act of washing the feet. We see the truth of the need of needing to let go of our pride. The truth of needing to let go of our pride. Now, Jesus nowhere mentions the word pride in this text. So why am I saying this event causes us to let go? Because Jesus didn't have to say anything. Peter did. Peter did. You see, this important truth was driven home in the acts of Peter. When Peter asked, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? This is actually an act of disbelief and shock. It, it may not even have been a question of as much as, Lord, you wash my feet? Because again, he could not imagine this one he had followed for three years could do such a menial task. How could he stoop to wash? But then, Jesus lets him know, yeah, I'm going to wash your feet, Peter. I'm going to wash your feet. Peter responds, you will never wash my feet. And that was pride. Pride and arrogance. Do you realize that the apostle is now looking at his master, the one he has followed, the one he is committed to, and he's saying, I'm not going to let you do it. No, you can't. These are my feet. I'm happy with them dirty. And then Jesus responds, and I don't think Jesus, I don't think he's being snarky. I don't think he's being cruel. I think everything he says to Peter is done out of a loving, kind voice. He says, Peter, if you won't accept this act of service, you have no share with me. Now, what did he mean? Did he mean you're not mine? We know not, because immediately he will reaffirm Peter and the others there. I believe that Christ was pointing out to one of the clearest examples of what it means to be a follower of God. 
if you won't let me do this, then you don't understand the need for service and a willingness to be served. You're not on my wavelength. You're not in my heart. You're not doing what I want you to do. And then Peter said, well, in that case, wash my head, my, my, my hands, you know, just pour water all over me. And Jesus again gently said, Peter, you don't need a whole bath. You're already clean. All of you are, well, except for the one. Because he knew Judas's heart did not belong to him. So he's saying, you're already clean. You're already mine. Live like it. Swallow your pride and learn what it means to serve. Swallow your pride and learn what it means to be willingness to receive service. You see, I believe with everything within me, our service to Christ and each other is impeded when pride gets in the way. Let that sink in. I can talk about serving you, I can talk about loving you, I can talk about wanting the best for you, but when my pride swells up and causes a block between you and me, I don't understand what service is about. I don't understand what it means to serve Christ, and I certainly don't mean understand what it means to serve you. This area of pride. And this is where the text, I told you it foreshadows Corinth. This is where. Because in the church of Corinth, this Lord's Supper had become an empty ritual, and it wasn't even really a ritual anymore. Paul says, you're not observing the supper. Why? Because there were people in Corinth that had a lot of stuff and they brought all sorts of food to the love feast and they didn't share it with anybody. And so you've got these people who are into gluttony and eating everything and getting to drunk and they're getting drunk at what's supposed to be an observance of what Lord Jesus done for them. And those people who had nothing to give had nothing to receive. And Paul said to them, you're not doing the supper because you're not discerning the body of our Lord. And here I'm not, I do not believe he's talking about, you don't understand that the, the, these elements have been mystically transformed. He's saying, you don't discern the body of the Lord. You don't understand your relationship to each other. You don't understand that you are the body of Christ. And you're abusing some and not taking care of others. And you've missed it all because you want what you want, period. Pride. Arrogance. I've got mine and that's all that matters. So I believe for communion to be real, we must swallow our pride to understand our Lord. In other words, I need to do this in such a way that will honor Jesus by loving you, by serving you. I'm not afraid to tell the Lord what I will and will not do when it comes to service and love. None of us, no one in this building, including me, none of us are the most important person in the act of communion. 
Now, I suspect, at some level, we all know that, don't we? Who is the most important person in the act of communion? The Lord Jesus. But I'm about to rip the the rug of pride out from under our feet. You know what else? None of us here come in second. None of us here can say, well, I'm doing this for me. Yes, Lord, I love you, and you are my Lord, and I know. Dave doesn't understand, but I know I really am your favorite. We have to get rid of that concept. Each of us need to understand, we come here equally as the children of God. And it doesn't matter the the cut of your hair, the clothes you're wearing, uh, where you're from, what all that has gone on in your life before this moment in time, as followers of Christ, we come as the children of the Lord and we must follow the call of God's word. Paul put it as bluntly as he could in Philippians 2, 3-4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You, at this moment in time, all of you are more important than me. Because I'm called to esteem you and honor you. We must realize that every person here who is a follower of Christ, we're God's child. And when we come together, we share our lives, our destinies, and love that should be in our hearts. So there is no room for ego here. There is no room for I'm number two. We have to let go, folks. And then we see the truth of our need to follow our Lord in service. We we see the truth of following Christ in this act of service. He didn't just do this to give us something to do. You see, within the text, Jesus tells them why he did it. He gives them a reason. When Peter is so reluctant to have it happen, Jesus finally, after he's done it, explains, Jesus brought home the meaning of his humble act of service. And I remind you exactly what he said to them. You call me teacher and Lord and you're right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For if I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done unto you. I have given you an example. Now there are several denominations that believe foot washing is actually a third ordinance for the church. And every time they observe the Lord's Supper, they will have a foot washing. And I, I, I don't mean to, to dismiss them. This is their conviction, and this is their congregations. They are free to do as they will. But I happen to believe that this insistence is misguided for several reasons. 
First, the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper are distinctly linked to the concept of salvation, that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead in order that we could become children of God. And baptism and and Lord's Supper talk about that. Second, foot washing was an immediate example. So I believe that what Jesus is saying is, take this example I'm giving you and understand what should happen. And, And by the way, again, he may have been implying one of you should have been doing this. If you really knew who I was and am, one of you would have taken up the towel. But the main reason, I believe that this is more than a foot washing. Jesus said, you should do as I have done for you. What does that mean? I'm your Lord. And my entire ministry has been one of service. And here, you need to follow my lead. From now on, the significance of the act, from now on, you need to finally start serving one another. Because they did not have the argument of who's best in the kingdom once, folks. They had it at least twice. You need to understand you are called to serve. See, failing to understand our need to serve causes failure in truly embracing the act of communion. Failing to understand that this is supposed to be an act of service will cause us to not fully appreciate what's going on right here. You see, foot washing does, and Alan was right when he brought it up before our kids. Alan pointed out, foot washing, that activity serves no purpose in our world today. Most of us come into a service wearing shoes, maybe sandals, but I'm pretty sure none of you walked 30 miles in the dirt to get here. It doesn't have a purpose, at least here in the West. Now, there are some areas where foot washing is still needed, perhaps. Now, and it might be if there is a church that is just incredibly filled with hubris and pride, maybe a foot washing could help them learn some humility. But other acts of service abound everywhere around us. Helping someone who's hungry, alone, reaching out to an outcast that is rejected by so many in the world. Ministering with tears as you share in the time of mourning and loss with another. You just don't say, I'm so sorry. You actually weep with them. Offering encouragement to one who's lost their way, who've lost their hope in God for whatever reason. They feel he is on the far side of the universe. 
and you have a chance to speak into your life. And then from a very practical, a practical application that you might not ever have considered. When passing the elements of this meal to those about you, you are sharing. You are serving them. Sharing with them the peace and love of the Lord. There are some denominations who want to focus that act of sharing. And as people will pass the elements to the person next to them, they'll say something to the effect, the peace of Christ with you. And the response would be, and with you as well. I'm not saying that's something we have to do, should do. uh, But folks, when you take that tray from the deacon, the server who has passed it to you, and you pass it to the next person, I don't know if you've thought about that. You are serving them. You are now saying, take from me your brother. Take from me your sister. The elements of of the Lord's Supper and understand we are in this together. We are part of a family here. And just as Well, not everybody eats at the table anymore, but if you remember those days when you did, you remember how you passed the food around? We're passing the elements to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord's Supper is not supposed to be passive. It is active. Reminding each other we have a part. And by the way, Because the Lord's Supper is often, so often, rather solemn occasion. The way we observe it. I'll remind you there's another more formal term for the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, which means a thanksgiving. Folks, yes, there is a degree of solemnity in this. Jesus died for our sins. But there is a reason for joy in this. Jesus died for our sin. And so when we're passing the elements, it's really allowed to smile at your brother as you pass them the cup or the bread. We're sharing. And true communion True communion results when we understand that it is an act of remembrance shared by people of service. That's when the Lord's Supper moves from being a ritual to really an act of togetherness and communion. Communion with the Lord because we're remembering what he's done, but communion with each other because we're sharing. And it's crucially important that we understand this. We remember the price that Jesus paid to purchase our salvation. But in the West, we can be so individualistic in our approach that we forget He did the same for everyone else here. Salvation has never been all about me. It's about us, the body, the family of Christ. And when I remember that I'm serving you, I remember the connection. And again, this is why I love the word communion. Because it reminds me there's something lost 
if this act were to be done alone. Now, I know there have been points in time when people under severe persecution have observed this meal by themselves. That is uh, an exception to the normal rule. This was meant to be done among sisters and brothers in the Lord. It was meant to be done in a, a visual act of service. And it requires a unity of heart, purpose, commitment, serving one another that we can grow. Now, we are coming to a point in the service where you are allowed and encouraged to follow the admonition of Paul. In 1 Corinthians 11, he told his readers, you need to examine yourselves. You need to see your hearts and whether or not they are worthy. You can take of this Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. This does not mean examine your heart to see if you're perfect and therefore can take. If everybody has to be perfect, nobody can take. He's saying look at your heart and what it is. Take a look and see are you truly ready. Now I have included for you in your worship folder a few suggestions. Because sometimes people aren't quite sure what they're supposed to do in the examination. I believe when we bow our heads in silence, a lot of people are just waiting for me to say amen. Well, there's some suggestions about what you might want to ask the Lord to do in your heart right now to help you that this service will be meaningful to you. Because essentially Christ is asking us in this, this examination is to commit ourselves to him. And so Paul in chapter 12 of Romans gave this admonition, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good will of God, what is, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you bow your heads and you look, I'm asking you today, not are you perfect, but are you ready to say to the Lord, God, I need you to change me. I need you to help me to love like I've not been loving. I need you to help me to be willing to serve like I've not been willing to serve. I need to present myself to you so that when it comes time to take the elements, I know that I have given myself over into your hand.